0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the PQI podcast. This week, we sit down with Dr. Alice Roten and Lauren Staley from the University of Florida to discuss fertility preservation. Dr. Roten is a board-certified, fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologist and a professor at the University of Florida working in the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility. Lauren is a nurse practitioner and part of the UF Health Reproductive Endocrinology Group in the role of onco-fertility Navigator. Through this initiative, Lauren provides fertility preservation counseling for patients facing new cancer diagnoses. Okay, thank you so much, ladies, for joining us on the PQI podcast today. To start out, will you please both introduce yourselves and give us an overview of your backgrounds and your current roles? And we'll start with Dr. Roten.
1: So my name is Alice Roten and uh, I am in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Florida. My background is um, that I did extra training in reproductive endocrinology and infertility and now run or take part in the UF Health Oncofertility or Fertility Preservation Program. And we work very closely with other oncology disciplines. And that's how I met um, our nurse navigator for our Oncofertility Program, Lauren Staley.
0: Wonderful, thank you. And Lauren? Yeah, so my name is Lauren Staley. I am a nurse practitioner um,
2: and I have worked for about 13 years in pediatric oncology taking care of um, mainly adolescents and young adults with sarcomas. Um, back in 2019, Dr. Roten and I um, got together to brainstorm about how we could improve access for our um, patients, particularly our inpatients for um, to fertility preservation services. And so, in 2019, we um, we joined forces, and I am now a um, part-time inpatient oncology fertility navigator. So I serve all of the inpatients, both at the pediatric and the adult um, side at the University of Florida, um, and provide fertility preservation counseling mm-hmm. for them, um, and work with um, with Dr. Roten to ensure easy access for those patients to the outpatient clinic as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. I I love it. I love the service that you're both providing. And I have to say really quickly, go Gators. Um, But I was telling Dr. Rode before the podcast, and I say it a lot on the podcast, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphomas in my early 20s, um, a couple of times in a stem cell transplant. And was able to have two, two, I have an 11 year old and a three year old, two little ones after, but I've talked to so many people who have not had that opportunity or been presented the opportunity for fertility preservation. Um, So I think just what you all are doing is incredibly important. But on that note, Lauren, will you talk more about why fertility preservation is important in cancer patients?
2: course. So um, as cancer um, treatments have become more effective, we've seen improved outcomes in our patients. And this has been especially true in our adolescent young adult cancer patients. Um, Those improved outcomes have, you know, obviously been been great for patients. But what we're finding is that there are a lot of long-term side effects from the chemotherapy. Um, and fertility is is one of the biggest that we've noticed over the years. Patients who have been treated um, and previously weren't cured of their cancer are now being cured, but having issues long-term with fertility. Um, Multiple studies have shown that there are, um, that fertility is is really important, particularly for our adolescent and young adult um, oncology patients. 44% of um, newly diagnosed male patients and over 50% of newly diagnosed female patients talked about fertility being one of the top three most important life goals for them. And so when we're giving them therapy that may compromise that fertility leads to a lot of distress, um, not only during their cancer treatment, but in survivorship. Um, And and it's led to a lot of um, negative quality um, of life, issues with these patients, impaired relationships, um, you know, difficulty with processing, um, the inability to have kids, feeling like they don't have self-worth, and so it's extremely important that we address these issues uh, with with all of our patients, but primarily with um, with our kids and our adolescent and young adult patients.
0: Thank you. Yes, yes, a lot a lot to unpack there and a lot to consider. So what exactly are you all doing? Dr. Roten, will you give us an overview of your program there at UF?
1: So Ginger, that's a really good question. And um, I appreciate you sharing your story because really the goal of our program is multi- um, disciplinary and multi specialty So the hub of the program, which is called the UF Health Hope Network, is um, helping oncology patients become educated about their, um, their options. And so the program involves a collaboration between reproductive endocrinology, which is really the, I would call it the headquarters of the program, and then in that program, there's um, other reproductive physicians. We have pediatric oncology, nurse navigators, we have embryologists, we have surgeons. Um, and so the clinical aspect involves a cross-departmental effort to you know, really get to see and counsel all of these patients on their options so just this week, I saw um, a young woman who is 30 with breast cancer, and you know, two weeks ago, we saw a young man with um, lymphoma. So there's a clinical aspect, then there's a, an educational aspect, and we've held two statewide CME meetings so that other providers in oncology fields can be Educated about what can be offered and be able to go back home and better serve their oncology patient populations. And then there's also a research component, and we have several studies, mostly clinical, that focus a lot on how to better educate providers about what we can offer. And fortunately, We've had grant funding from several local foundations, including um, the Climb for Cancer Foundation and other foundations, so that even though a lot of these services aren't covered by um, insurance, we still have funds for underinsured or uninsured patients. So it's really a multi-pronged program that we hope you know, crosses the entire institution of oncology patients.
0: That is a fantastic program. And I really appreciate, I know I first saw you speak at a Florida um, oncology event, but I appreciate that you all are, you know, giving your time to educate others that may may not be at UF, um, just to get the word out and to help, help as many patients as you can. And I know you mentioned that you saw a um, breast cancer patient and lymphoma patient this week. But um, will one of you or maybe Lauren um, talk about are there specific types of cancers or treatments, um, age groups where fertility preservation is of more importance?
2: Yeah. So, um, in a, in a perfect world, we would see any patient and every patient that's, you know, between the ages of, of zero and 45, I think all patients deserve to have information about how their cancer treatment may affect their fertility, um, and know what the risk of infertility is moving forward. That being said, there are obviously high risk groups, um, that we try um, to sure. prioritize and make sure are seen, um, of the time, those are are the breast cancers, the GU cancers, um, ovarian cancers, testicular cancers, and then a lot of the sarcomas um, where patients are getting high-risk medicine. So any patient that's getting alkylators, um, cyclophosphamide, ifosphamide, should definitely be seen. We know that those drugs are associated with higher risks for infertility, um and then any patient who's receiving abdominal or pelvic radiation um also needs fertility counseling
0: thank you that that is very helpful and then so
1: what are the options that are available for these patients um so for males the most common thing that is done and it's pretty much the majority of males is they do sperm banking. So they come into clinic or in the hospital, they collect a sample of sperm, and then the sperm is frozen at our clinic. It can be frozen indefinitely. If there were a younger male or some individual that couldn't collect a sample, we do now have a fertility urologist that could do a sperm extraction procedure at the bedside or in the clinic. And then on the female side, uh, there's also a number of options. Part of it will depend on whether the female has a partner, but the most common thing that women are doing now is going through a short ovarian stimulation and freezing eggs after an egg retrieval. If they have a permanent partner or life partner, they could choose to freeze embryos on that same short time frame. And then some, uh, you know, females choose not to do that either because of the cost or the time involved, which takes sometimes like a week or two, and they don't want to delay starting chemotherapy. So, Often they'll choose to do a GNRH agonist suppression option, which is not a proven option, but will make their periods lighter or non-existent and may also protect the eggs. And then another option that is really only available here at the moment in the state of Florida, which would be to freeze ovarian tissue for women. So if someone wasn't able to go through an IVF type of cycle, they could go through a laparoscopy, get some small pieces or one of their ovaries removed. And then the strips where the eggs are would be frozen. And later on those pieces could be transplanted back. And then finally, if somebody was getting Radiation to the pelvis, they could go through a laparoscopy to move the ovaries out of the radiation field up above the pelvis called an ovarian transposition. So we can really offer a wide range of choices for both males and females. And most of these are available pretty much on an urgent basis all the time.
0: Okay, wonderful. There actually are a lot more options available than i I would have initially thought. Um, and so I know that you would have to speak with the patient, obviously about about the options. But when should the fertility preservation conversation happen, and who is leading the conversation? And then I guess along with that, I also have the question kind of the question in my mind about kids and, how, pa- how parents handle or respond to that conversation as well.
2: Yeah, so um, studies have shown that these conversations need to happen as early as possible in patient's cancer journey. So while the patient's having staging or um, you know arranging for a port placement or planning for what kind of chemotherapy they're going to get, we can start having these conversations, even if the plan is not known 100%, you may not know exactly what drugs or how many cycles patients are gonna receive, we can start having these conversations. It's especially important for women who need a little bit longer if they're gonna preserve eggs or embryos um, for the ovarian stimulation. So our our hope is that conversations happen as soon as we know that a patient has, um, has cancer and is gonna be receiving um, chemotherapy or radiation. Um, the conversation can really be be started by anyone. Um, I think this is one of the the most important take home messages is that it doesn't have to be the reproductive endocrinology team. It doesn't have to be the fertility team. Um, It can be the oncologist. It can be the bedside nurse. It can be the radiation oncologist. It can be the orthopedic oncologist. you know, if, if they've got a, a comfort level of starting those conversations, it makes our job a whole lot easier because we know, um, you know, the patients are are kind of know what to expect when we come to talk to them about their options. Ultimately, if a patient is interested, um, then the fertility team needs to be involved so that we can have more in-depth conversations about what the specific risk is with their treatment um, and what the, the patient-specific options are, um. You know, given the the timing of when chemotherapy needs to start and the the health of the patient, we obviously have to collaborate with their with their other medical providers to make sure that they're safe to to have a fertility preservation procedure. But the conversation should start early and by anybody who touches that patient um, ideally.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. And then what are some of the common barriers that you find to fertility preservation in cancer patients?
2: Sure. So along the same lines, I think a lot of providers are very uncomfortable talking about um, reproductive medicine. I think they there's a lot of cultural biases and a lot of um, of discomfort bringing up these issues. I think this is especially common in the in the pediatric world, um, like you referred to a, a little bit ago. Um, you know, providers don't want to have uh, conversations in front of the patient when they don't know what the parents know about the patient, or they don't want to have conversations with the parent, not knowing, you know, where the patient is in their, um, in their life journey. Um, So, so provider issues, I think um, ethical concerns, you know, there's a lot of issues with people having uncertain prognosis. And is it important to talk to them about fertility if they have a high risk cancer with a poor prognosis? Um, And so there's, there's people who won't have those conversations if they don't expect the patient to do well. Um, unfortunately, that's not our, our decision to make. Every patient should be empowered to make a decision whether whether their prognosis is good or not. Um, I think the, the biggest barrier that we come across with our patients is, um, is financial concerns. So typically fertility preservation services are not covered by insurance. Um, we're lucky here at UF that We have a foundation that helps to cover the consult fee um, if the insurance doesn't cover it and is also able to help the underinsured with the cost of sperm banking if that's their only barrier Um, but it's not the same for women. Women um, fertility preservation procedures you know run between eight and ten thousand dollars and for most patients who have um, just received a cancer diagnosis. They're already very overwhelmed with what the cost of their medical care is gonna is gonna be, and so asking them to then pay this money to um, to store eggs or or embryos is is often quite overwhelming for them. Um, I think the other big issue is access for patients. So patients who are seen particularly by um, community oncologists may not have access to a reproductive endo- endocrinology clinic. Or to fertility preservation services. And so um, and so those patients oftentimes get missed.
0: Yes, those are those are all great points. And would you just on, on that last one really quickly, would you usually recommend that they um, tra- travel to a center like yours? Or do you know what the community is typically doing in those situations?
2: We certainly receive referrals from outside oncologists um, and and community oncologists. I think I think um, you know getting the word out that we're here, we're available, we're able to do telemedicine, so we can uh-huh. talk to the patients and explain options. Um, and then they have to travel only if they actually want to to have a procedure to do um, to do cryopreservation of some sort. So, um, so yes, we're starting to see the community physicians refer. More, um, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done,
0: okay. thank you. And then you've both touched on foundations, but are there specific foundations and resources? It sounds it sounds like there are, but to help patients financially with fertility preservation.
1: Um, so the answer that's a really good question. And we rely on several foundations. so or or I would say, I mean, they're resources. So I'll tell you about the resources and then the foundations. So resources that are available, one is um, called Verna's Purse, and that is through a company that does long-term gamete storage that we use. And Verna's Purse will pay for the cost of storage yearly fees for sperm, eggs, embryos, tissue. It's a simple one-page application, and so a lot of um, individuals use that to help pay for storage long-term. Another option that's available for fertility medication coverage is through one of the fertility pharmacies. It's called the Heart Program, and it will cover if if people have financial need the cost of medicines up to somewhere around $5000 so we use the heart program frequently to help pay for the cost of medications and then there are some foundations such as the alliance for fertility preservation that sometimes will do grants for patients and usually that's for women because the costs are so much higher and then locally uh we've gotten funding from climb for cancer for to help cover patient services as well as another family foundation called the Pruitt Family Foundation and both of those have donated enough to help at least to meet the need that that every individual cannot i mean is assured that money will not prevent them from at least hearing about their options
0: that is great. I didn't realize that there there were so many options. so i'm I mean, that that's reassuring, and i'm I'm hoping it's similar in other areas of the country. Um, but I'm sure part of that is due to the great work that you all are doing as well. And then our membership is made up of pharmacists, technicians, nurses, physicians, and other oncology team members what would you want them to most know about fertility preservation
1: and how can they help patients? Uh, That it's a great question. So a few weeks ago, I gave a, um, you know, like an in-service training exam to the pharmacy students at UF. And um, uh, I think the biggest message is that, you know, Everyone on the team of caring for an oncology patient, because it really is a total team sport, should be empowered to bring up this topic, even if all they do is say, have you thought about fertility? Or has anyone mentioned whether these treatments might affect fertility? If anyone can even just breach the conversation and open the door, it means that some people might say, well, listen, thank you for mentioning it, but I'm not having children. Or other people may say, well, thank you for mentioning it, but um, that isn't something I want to think about right now. But either way, there should be a hard stop that all providers that are circling around this individual going through a very stressful time are empowered to at least bring up this topic and then hopefully go the next step if there's a desire and, you know, then figure out how their system will address this need. And um, so that's, that's what I think the biggest thing that you should take away from this is at least thinking of fertility in young um, oncology patients.
0: Yes, it it sounds like a simple question could go a long way and really make a difference for someone. And then I have a couple of final questions that we ask all of our guests. But before that, is there anything else that either of you would like to add or that you feel that it's
1: important to cover today? Uh, I mean, I one thing I'd like to mention is that, um you know, fortunately, uh, you know, around the country, as a result of major educational efforts from the Onco Fertility Consortium, it's sort of a research network and clinical network that originated out of Northwestern University. As a result of that, really, all over the country, Reproductive endocrinologists have incorporated this type of services into their clinical practices. So if someone lived in, let's say, I don't know, um, you know, somewhere in Louisiana and there's an oncologist or a pharmacist or a social worker or anyone on that team that had a patient interested in fertility preservation they could go online to sart.org. That's the Society of Assisted Reproductive Technology. Find a clinic is one of the tabs and then look up clinics in their area, you know, within a hundred mile radius and just check if they do offer fertility preservation. And so it is a way to sort of, no matter where you are, try to accomplish these goals for your oncology patients.
0: That is a great resource. Thank you for sharing it. And we'll, we have show notes. So we'll, we'll link the website in the show notes. So everyone has access to that. And then this podcast is called the PQI podcast to bring awareness to Encoda's positive quality intervention resource. I think that you have had the opportunity, Dr. Roten, to maybe look at a couple of those, but what value do you see in this resource?
1: It's It really is, um, I mean, doing exactly what we would hope if our family member needed oncology care is to make sure that everyone, including the patient themselves, who, if they're educated and empowered to understand what we're doing for them, it makes them um uh, you know you know able to follow their plan of care more they understand more so i think what you're doing is integrating the care that people are getting and helping educate providers of oncology care and also patients which is an essential resource really and i was reading through the list of drugs today because there's so many new drugs that I've never even heard of. So I was actually educating myself about all the different oral and other drugs that are administered to patients so I can understand more. So um, there's not another good place that I know of to really look at that.
0: Wonderful. Yes, they they are coming out, I think, faster than we can keep up with the resources sometimes which is a great thing for patients usually. And then we have one final fun question that I would love for both of you to answer. And I'll I'll let whoever maybe comes up with their answer first, go first. But our question for season five of the podcast is if you could give your 18 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be?
2: I'll answer that. So um, <laughs> I, I, um, I would tell myself to have more fun. I think um, Uh when you're stuck in that world of, you know, high school and college, everything's about, you know, um, meeting goals and, and, um, and achieving the highest level of success. Um, And, and just looking back, like all of those things are obviously very important, but I think um, there's only one time in your life where you get to, to have fun and, and be free and not have all of the responsibilities that come with being an adult. So I would tell myself to have more fun.
0: I think that's a great piece of advice. Maybe even for the adults now that
1: are past (laughs) 80. But yes. (laughs) Um, So my, you know, when I look back, um, my piece of advice would be to be interested in more things and make sure you learn about the world around you. And and it really goes back to sort of what Lauren said, which is, you know, we were so busy working to be accomplishing our goal that I mean, honestly, years went by and I don't think I ever listened to the news or I didn't read a paper. I shouldn't say this online. All right. <laughs> I mean, what I realize from my own children that I have been taught from them and it's one of the most fun parts of my now life is how many beautiful things there are in the world like gardening and farms and history and beautiful books and so many things that have enriched my life and um I mean, you're it was so laser focused back then that you didn't notice almost anything outside of that. But I would go back and say, explore the world, see what's out there. I mean, there's really a lot of amazing parts of the universe.
0: Yes, well, that is a great piece of advice, too. And again, I don't think it's too late. So I think it's something you can, you can do, even if you're a little bit past that 18-year-old mark. Um But thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast today. You have been very informative and bringing such important information. And thank you for everything that you're doing um, every day for patients. It makes a huge
1: difference. So thank you. Thanks for having us, Ginger. Yeah, thanks, Ginger, for thinking of it and being interested and for listening today. It was a real honor to be here.
0: Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of the PQI podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Roten and Lauren. You can find the podcast on anywhere you listen to podcasts and encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A You can also find us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We hope you tune in next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.